0: The views and therapies expressed in this podcast episode are those of the guest and may not be endorsed by PCCA. The statements are provided for educational purposes only. They have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration and are not to be interpreted as a promise, guarantee, or claim of
1: therapeutic efficacy or safety. The information contained herein is not intended to replace or substitute for conventional medical care or encourage its
2: abandonment. Welcome to The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent
0: pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales
2: Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. I am your host, Mike Delisio, and I'm actually joined by two co-hosts today. Once again, we are live at our hormone symposium in Las Vegas, Nevada. As we did last year, we had the opportunity to sit down with a few of our physicians, some member pharmacists, and expand on their compounding practice in terms of how they manage patients. And We couldn't think of a better guest today than to be joined by Dr. Albert Peter. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure for you to be here, not only speaking for us at the event, but also for you to take the time to to kind of sit down with both Sebastian, who's one of our co-hosts, and Michelle Perot, who's joined me in the past. So welcome to all three of you. This is
3: actually going to be a fun interview, I think, uh, having the dynamic of
2: four, because last
3: time we did this, it was with uh, Steve and... Haley, and it was like one of our best-received podcasts, so should yeah, be, it's, it should be a good one. It's
2: going to be cool, and once again, we're not in the cozy confines of our PCCA recording studio. We're here in Las Vegas, so there might be a bit of background noise, but uh, it's okay. We'll deal with it. We're in Las Vegas, right? It can't be completely quiet. So, Dr. Peters, thank you so much for, for doing this. Thank you for joining in. Um, just a bit more about you. Some of our listeners are probably not too familiar with you. You you are speaking for us live at the event. Yes. Yes. Um, what is your takeaways, and, and talk to us a bit more about how you approach patient care and what you focus focused on over the last 25 years. Sure. Well, again, thank you for
0: allowing me to be here. This has really been overwhelming to hear some of these lectures, extremely high quality, and I'm learning a lot here, too, as well as uh, being a speaker, so I enjoy that. Um, just a little bit about maybe my background uh, so that you know where I come from. I'm a a board-certified OBGYN and reproductive endocrinologist, so most of my career I spent in women's health care and more specifically doing in vitro fertilization and infertility care. But I always did a lot of menopause care. Um, After many, many years of that, and after my own wife went through her trials and tribulations of menopause, uh, and I wasn't helping her with traditional hormones, She, she let me know that. Uh, <laughs> can't uh, yeah, I can't imagine how people Yeah, I can't imagine that. <laughs> uh, she was one of the forces that uh, encouraged me to go back and start learning about other alternatives to traditional hormone replacement. And um, then I actually called up Dr. Pam Smith, and uh, she encouraged me to come to one of her weekend courses on bioidentical hormones. And after I heard that, I was sold. I thought I knew a lot about hormones until I went to that weekend course. I came home, I put my wife on bioidentical hormones, and she's been very happy ever since. So she's happy, I'm happy. Um, And it opened my eyes to the whole world of functional and integrated medicine, more so than I've ever uh, done or had before. So that's my background, and now I have a full-time practice in uh, functional and integrative anti-aging medicine but I incorporate many, many hormones into that. So I do a lot of menopause care, I take care of men uh, with testosterone deficiency and thyroid and, and those type of things. So, um, back to your original question, mm-hmm. you were... Yeah. I, I'm sorry, can you...
2: Oh, sure. I just wanted I, to give you a little no background problem. Yeah, where Yeah, that's I came a from, great background for yeah. our, our audience. Yeah. I, I would say, mm-hmm. now encompassing all that, talking about functional and integrative medicine, your exposure with A4M, mm-hmm how has it been to treat your patients and I guess segueing into how do you work with compounding pharmacists? Yes, well the one thing I learned is that menopause is a very
0: neglected area of medicine and uh, women unfortunately don't have a lot of options. Uh, They have the traditional hormones and if they don't work too bad you know and then the prescription for antidepressants comes out and I wouldn't want my wife on on those if she didn't need to be so the whole area, of uh, the whole reason for getting into this was to expand my horizon and start doing things uh, in a more holistic way. And uh, to do that, it wasn't just writing a prescription anymore. I become intimately involved with compounding pharmacists. These guys have become like my best friend. Uh, they're very smart people. They can help me develop some of these formulations. and. I literally go to the pharmacy before I start prescribing there. I meet the individuals, I meet the pharmacists, I look at their labs. I do have experience in clean room laboratories because I was an IVF doctor for many years. And uh, I want to make sure that I'm dealing with high quality. And so I pick and choose the pharmacies I go to very carefully. Once I do that, I have a very intimate relationship with those people. And so do my patients. And it's different than prescribing something to a traditional pharmacy. Uh, because the patient goes in, and the pharmacist talks to them, too. And it's almost like we have become part of a healthcare team. You know, the physician, the pharmacist, even the pharmacy techs. They know the people and the patient. And the patient might call me up, and she said, oh, you know, I was over to talk to the pharmacist today, and, and he or she suggested this. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. Let's do it. So I'll call up the pharmacist, and, and all of a sudden, our compounded uh, formula has changed a little bit, and, and for the better. Um, so this has been a great relationship that I've never had before with the pharmacy world. So
3: you say that you develop a relationship with your pharmacists and you, you go and you visit the pharmacies. Um, what are some of the criteria that you kind of look at when you're walking into the pharmacy? And what is the, how do you establish that relationship of trust with the pharmacist that you feel confident that they can make these recommendations to your patients? And is there, what are some of the tangibles or, for our listeners? Something that they can sort of express to their visiting physicians or, sure. or
0: prescribers? Sure. Great question. Well, you know, like anybody else, I'm I'm a consumer too. So when I walk into a place, you know, it's got to meet the eye test and the smell test and the taste test. Uh, you walk in there and you want to make sure that it's a, a pleasing-looking place. Is it clean? What kind of customer service are they giving to you? Do the people at the, at the front desk come to you or do you have to stand there without being acknowledged you know that kind of stuff and I go in and I don't really tell them who I'm who I am when I first go in so I don't want to say I'm Dr. Peters because you know unfortunately good or bad that gets you special treatment uh, when you say things like that when you when you start bringing out titles then I ask to meet the pharmacist and if they come out I mean I understand they're busy they can't come right out just to meet me but you know at some point I would like them to come out and chat with me then I say who I am and I want to make sure that that doesn't change their personality a whole lot, you know, just because I'm a doctor. Uh, I, want to see, uh, I want to see people that are interested, that are sincere about taking care of patients. And then uh, once I get to the back area, look at their laboratories. Having a little bit of knowledge in that, I can, I can tell you know if they're doing proper technique and sterile labs and those kind of things. And then, um, then the real test comes. You know, I'll start prescribing some medicines. And you see how that relationship goes over a while. And uh, I've not been disappointed. I, I've really been, uh, it's been an amazing uh, experience dealing with these people. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And patient response. I ask my patients, how are they being treated? And, uh, and they're very honest with me. So, and, and they tell me and I've, I've really had a great experience.
2: That's probably um, one of the rare and unique comments that I've heard from a physician perspective. Mm-hmm. We, we always talk about the triad, but I think often when we do interview doctors and we have a chance to discuss the experience with compounding pharmacies. We don't necessarily take into consideration the customer experience and how important that is. Aaron and I recorded a podcast on customer experience and how important it is as an independent community pharmacist to stand apart and to be a, uh, a leader in your community, not only from a medical point of view, but also to serve your patient properly. So very interesting that you follow up with your patients to ensure that they're getting an adequate level of service Absolutely. and an expectation that sets apart from dealing with potentially a chain or somebody else yes yeah. uh, so I guess the question that I would have how important is it or have you noticed a difference when a person or a pharmacy is a member of PCCA in terms of delivering quality ingredient, delivering the quality formulation or the ability to work with you on a formulation, and obviously the basis and the delivery system. So how important is that conversation and is that something that you look for in your vetting process as well? I do look for that because that tells me if they're part
0: of that PCCA process that they're going to have quality, that they care enough to do that and they're using products of high quality. That means a lot to me. And, um, and it just, it trickles down. If, if they care about that, they care about patients, they care about the formulas they're making, that's important to me. My wife gets her, her hormones uh, from, those, from those pharmacies. So I want them to be as good as possible and I don't want anything less for my patients.
1: I noticed that when I'm out in the field talking to a lot of our compounding pharmacists, they are a little intimidated to go to doctor's offices and talk to them. So is there any advice that you could give them as far as reaching out to you? Because a lot of our uh, pharmacists don't necessarily have somebody like yourself coming in and and introducing themselves. Um, But they do want to introduce themselves to you and other practitioners, but they, they get a little lost in the weeds and not really sure how to go about that. So what can you share about the best advice you could give them for contacting somebody like yourself?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's very important, number one, and, I, and chances are, you know how it is when you're when you're going to meet someone, you're just as nervous as they are. So doctors aren't any special people or any different, you know, and quite honestly, we don't really have any more education than these compounding pharmacists who are very smart people. So number one, they shouldn't feel intimidated to approach a physician. And um, physicians should really have an open mind to this. Um, Most of my colleagues, unfortunately, are not trained in this. They don't understand it. And unfortunately, and this is not a bad thing, but the stuff I've seen, just because I've been a a traditional physician, I've kind of transitioned into functional medicine. Physicians have egos, sadly. (laughs) We all do, to a degree. And they don't like to admit they don't understand something. And uh, they don't like to be lectured to. Um, So... um, and that's not a good thing because that inhibits us from learning. So, I think the compounding pharmacist shouldn't feel intimidated. They should call the physician up, talk to them yourself, say, "I, I have some new things that you might be interested in, and I'd love to show them to you." And I think it, it can work. And there's always going to be pushback for some people, but the reality of it is, we run, we all run into that in our lives. And there's a certain point where if somebody's pushing you back that much, then maybe that's not the right person to be pushing toward. I agree. Yeah. But uh, I'm always available. If any of your compounding pharmacists want to talk to me, I'm happy to do that. And it doesn't matter if they're in California and I'm in Pennsylvania. I could still give them views and opinions, and I'd be happy to help.
1: How do we get um, your colleagues uh, to get more educated and get more involved in in learning new knowledge about bioidentical hormone therapy and, and compounding pharmacies in general?
0: Yeah. That's a tough one. You know, I, um, it's hard because tr- physicians are nervous to prescribe things that are not FDA approved. And, and that's, I think, the toughest blockade to this. So I've approached it a little bit of a different way. I've gone out in my community as a one-man show, and I put on seminars. And um, I, they're grassroots. I might get three or four physicians in a group. I might get 15 patients. And slowly it starts getting out there. But the best ambassadors of this are the patients themselves. And I could tell you when I start seeing physicians' wives <laughs> and they go home and they're happy with their hormone balancing, the physicians call me up and say, so what are you doing over there and how are you doing this and is this something that you know, I might be able to help my patients with? And uh, I think it's one brick at a time. There's not going to be one mass way to, to convert people. Yeah, yeah. I agree.
3: And so, in your practice, you said that you picked up hormones. You saw the same. You, you didn't see the same results using the standard of care that was available. And you came to Pam's seminar, mm-hmm. and you were like, "Wow, this is this is really a different approach." Now you've been doing this for a few years, and I'm sure that you're now starting to see an evolution in sort of this development of, of the practice. Um, where do you see kind of the next steps coming in your practice that you're sort of excited about with respect to some of your specialties? Because we were talking about this a little bit before. And I know this is a totally leading question and mm-hmm. it's very self-serving because I'm excited you brought it up. You're like, that was a cool talk yesterday. And, <laughs> and you were talking about some of these patients with some of, their, some of their OBGYN issues and how you were starting to think like maybe we could add this. So yes. I'm kind of opening it
0: up and yeah, that's, that's the direction straight. I want So i'll just give you a little snippet of my long long term uh yeah i'm 61 years old most people don't start practices at i started this at 59 so it was it's a little scary uh to be out on my own i always worked for a big organization and had the protection of that you know uh, so this is this is all new but where i see what i would love to see is truly integrative practices uh practices of all the specialties that also can do functional medicine you know so Thinking of our, our practices as all of us have a large toolbox and when you learn more things, you have more tools to help patients. Um, so that's kind of the long term. I'd love to have a practice with a, an OBGYN who does functional medicine, a primary care who does functional medicine, myself as a reproductive endocrinologist. And all of us can still do our traditional things, but we have these things like compounded medications to help our patients also. Doesn't have to be either or. With regard to uh, what I heard you talking about yesterday, which I I really went home and just kept thinking of the infinite possibilities with this, you talked about cannabidiol, and specifically using cannabidiol to treat uh, various uh, things, you know, uh, and the list is long, uh, as opposed to just giving people the full spectrum CBDs, which I do and I think a lot of people do right now, and it's kind of a catch-all, you know, here take some of this and see if it see if it works uh, with what i heard in your talk yesterday which was very eloquent is now we can get down to you know a specific molecule it's a receptor and a ligand and and we could aim at specific things and the most impressive thing i that you talked about was the regulatory ability of cannabidiols you know it's not just coming in as oh this is a medicine that will take care of that problem it regulates the entire Uh, 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 endocabinoid system in our body, uh, which I think is really getting at the root cause. And that's what we're all trying to be about with functional medicine, is getting to the root cause. So I'm very excited about this. I'm about to give a talk in a few minutes about PMS. And I do use full spectrums in my PMS patients, and uh, they respond well to that. And Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking of options or opportunities that maybe we could be thinking about cannabidiol for that. And so
3: with your PMS patients, you're using this full spectrum product. Are you pulsing it? Are you doing it just before Menzies? Are you doing it, or is it throughout the month? And then how do you see this kind of relating back to cannabidiol? Are we going to be doing like a similar sort of dosing? Right.
0: Uh, PMS is a tough one. And um, I, right now, my, my first approach is to give the product during the time of need, which is usually in that premenstrual phase. Uh, PMS is also very hard sometimes to differentiate from other affective disorders like depression and anxiety and those type of things. Um, So it really depends on the patient. If I have a patient who has intensity of symptoms premenstrually but has continued symptoms through the rest of the month, I might give it to them continuously. For those who have just the symptoms the, the week before the period and then it clears up with the period, I just try to use it for that particular. This is going to add to my my future syllabus.
3: By the way, is that I'm going to be looking sure. into this. So I'm. Yeah. Thank you so much for the yeah, for the insight. Yeah, very f-
0: exciting stuff. I'd
3: love
2: you to keep me posted on this, and oh, we'll
3: keep, keep in me contact. involved. Keep
0: me involved. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course, of
3: yeah. course.
2: Are there other therapeutic areas that pop up to your mind? I know you're talking about PMS this afternoon, mm-hmm. but are there other areas that you potentially see this as being a game changer for you and for other physicians within functional medicine? Yeah. Well, just with
0: what I do with menopause, you know, there's a lot of things that go along with menopause, not just hot flashes and vaginal dryness and painful intercourse. There's increased anxiety, uh, increase, um, less sleep. Sleep is a big problem in my menopause patients. And you do all the balancing of the hormones and you fix everything, and sometimes there's still some problems. So I've been using CBDs in those patients. Um, I have a a patient who's a... uh, he trains dogs for the state police and he's got severe arthritis and he can't be taking uh, a lot of narcotics and hardcore medications because he actually gets tested because he he uses those to train the dogs Uh, and so he he uses CBD's and it really helps him a lot he's actually reduces inflammation in his joints and he's really been pleased with it so yeah I have lots of different indications I use it for
2: It was definitely an exciting time. You know, Mm -hmm. the fact that we were able to launch from stage yesterday and talk about greater than 98% pure cannabidiol powder uh, being synthetically derived is something new to the compounding marketplace. Uh, Compounding pharmacies have been exposed or any pharmacies have been exposed to the full spectrum CBD cannabinoid products. Mm -hmm. And now, now using the cannabidiol powder specifically in compounded medication is definitely something new. So it's going to require a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of individuals just really thinking outside the box sure. and working together synergistically, both from a physician and a pharmacist's point of view. To, to really start making a change in patients' lives. So it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens because we're literally 24 hours away. I know we're, we're dating our recording of this, but we, we didn't even Time launch down. 24 hours ago. It was, it, it was yesterday evening, yeah, yeah. and we're sitting down talking with you, so. It it's is a, exciting, I mean, this is, we're yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and we're talking about, okay, what can we do with it now? Uh, yeah. So, absolutely. From a pharmacy point of view, and, and Gus touched on this, we're ready with 20 plus formulations so there'll be more exposure at the physician level giving you a better understanding of how it can be prepared, the formulations that we've already looked at and then that will continuously evolve. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to be a work in progress for, for my opinion a really long time. It's like a starting point of a conversation. When you look at compounding in general so many things began as an idea and then evolved into so many different ways and, sure. and followed on <clears> so many different paths and, Sebastian being an A4M fellow, also been exposed to so many different things. And that's where it's really cool to have all four of us sitting down talking about this. It's Michelle has tremendous amount of experience with the company as well, being here for nine years, working together with our pharmacies face-to-face, and then Sebastian being a pharmacist, you being a physician, and I'll, I'll take the role of patient. I always take the role of patient because <laughs> we're all, we're all I have patients. no other role at this point. <laughs> we're all patients sooner or later. We, we right? are. So it's what excites me about this and why we we are standing here today talking is really to give people a better understanding and educating our audience as to what is available and that's the exciting part to me so seeing the light bulbs go off in your mind and triggering that conversation point to yourself and saying hey this is something we never really considered." now you have a new opportunity a new avenue and it wouldn't have been possible without compounding pharmacy so that that's a Kind of an aha moment for me. I don't even know if it's a question. It's probably more of a very long <laughs> saying, statement. Well, <laughs> as as
0: a physician, you know, I'm always, and this sounds cliche-ish, but I'm, I'm always looking for more tools to put in my toolbox. So if this could be another one of those, why not? You know, and you know the other thing that came up to me. I'm laying in bed last night, look, thinking about this. You mentioned these seven different receptors mm-hmm. uh, yep. in the system, and could, at, since this is a synthetic compound, could could that potentially be altered to specifically affect different receptors for different problems? You know, just and, and that's
3: gonna be part of the it's research. Mind-blowing. That That's where yeah. a majority of the research is going is yes. you've got all these drug companies that are going, oh, we've gotta find something that's synthetic that works. And yes. we've seen, and this is actually a common, we've seen is these synthetic analogs just don't have the same same outcome because they, 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 they have a modulatory effect, but it usually comes at the cost of other effects. Sure. And so this, this is where the phytocannabinoids are going to become a bigger bigger part of the conversation. But cannabidiol is the, the most studied and that's where we're, we're starting with. And yeah. it's kind of like, it's gonna be practitioners like you who, yeah. who start making the requests and, and are also adding to the research pieces where we, we, then it comes back to Michelle, who's gonna be saying, I'm talking to this whole group and we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we've got this information and we gotta do this. And it's, it's, it becomes more exciting yeah. as, as we go. But
0: so we're in the think the, tank right now, which is good.
1: It's exciting, for sure.
3: So so now back to your talk. You're talking mm-hmm. about PMS, you're talking about, and, and and I know that there's PMS, I know there's PMDD, I know yes. that there's sort of this whole breadth of, of care that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, with respect to your talk, because we're, we're going to have questions about this afterwards, mm-hmm. um, where do you start assessing these patients, and how do you differentiate between PMS and possibly depression or anxiety, and how do you start, sure. what are you looking for in, in That's that That's a great question
0: the difference between pms and pmdd premenstrual dysphoric disorder versus premenstrual syndrome when they get when they move to that next level of premenstrual dysphoric disorder that's when you start bringing in the severe emotional debilitating types of symptoms they have so much anxiety and depression that it starts interfering with their work social or school life they start withdrawing mm-hmm. most women who have PMS, which is a vast majority of women, get some form of PMS, 70 to 90 percent. They just push through it. They're tough. They, I mean, they don't stop because they get some bloating or cramping or just don't feel good one day. Um, but PMDD, they really can't. That really puts them down. And uh, it's a whole different disorder. The way you differentiate, so menstrual diaries are very important. You, you actually literally have to have patients write down on a piece of paper, on a calendar, which days they're having the problems. Because if it's not cyclic, it's probably not one of those two things. That differentiates that from a true affective disorder, and they need to be treated differently. I mean, there are some overlapping treatments, but uh, they are different animals. And so when you're talking about
3: this, do you treat patients with PMS and PMDD with bioidentical hormones as well, or do we start with other care and then we eventually get there? Like, where, Where do you start?
0: Yeah. Well, great question. I try to take patients individually. I don't have one treatment plan for everybody. And um, as you'll see in the talk, I'm going to list all the traditional treatments. Uh, and then I'm going to talk about all the functional or metabolic treatments. And um, you know, the traditional treatments are pretty common, birth control pills and things like that, which kind of suppress the, the ups and downs of the menstrual cycle. But there's a tremendous number of uh, the functional or metabolic treatments starting with diet believe it or not you know and I and I know that sounds well okay now what else can I do but diet exercise sleep patterns are very important uh, in hormone fluctuation so you really have to start at the grassroots level and grassroots level and start there then I'll start uh, folding in different types of nutrients you know different vitamins that can be deficient and then uh, perhaps bringing on the bioidentical hormones using progesterone. I use a lot of compounded progesterone in luteal phase. And I know that goes way back to the early treatments of PMS. And there's been controversy in the medical literature. Does it work? Does it not? It works for some. And mm-hmm. you don't know unless you try. So, But I would far rather try that than my immediate step of going to put someone on uh, an SSRI or a drug that could potentially be for long term and be more addictive. So I take kind of a stepwise approach. I usually try the natural therapies first, and then if they're not working, I move over into the more traditional therapies. But every patient's different, you know. Somebody mm-hmm. may come in that's really severe that you have to kind of get a hold of, and then you can back them off, you know, to do the traditional therapies, and then maybe back them off to some of the more uh, metabolic therapies. That, I know that's very general, but it's hard, you know, it's an individual patient thing.
3: Yeah. Well, that goes to the crux of uh, compounding pharmacies and individualized care is yes. individual patient yeah. program, like care and programs and, and It's therapy. unique. Everybody's yeah.
1: unique. And it's personalized medicine, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You got it. And that's what we talk about all the time is yeah. we provide, help you provide personalized medications yes. for the personnel treatment of your patients. Absolutely right. So, uh, and then the
3: next one is, and i uh, I get this question a lot. A lot of people say, well, yeah, I'm getting these cyclic migraines. And are you also treating, um, cyclic migraine patients? So, so some of these PMS with
0: significant migraines at the same time, have you seen any sort of, uh, overlap yeah. there? I mean, I, I kind of watch how far I go with things like this. So headaches not my, you know, main, uh, specialty, obviously, so when I get into things like that, I always have them evaluated first by a neurologist just to make sure there's nothing bad going on. And then if, if it's part of the PMS, of course, because if we treat the underlying part of that, then it, they should go away. So sometimes doing simple things like knocking out a menstrual cycle. you know, If, if PMS is truly uh, a cyclic disease or disorder, if you stop the menstrual cycle, it should go away. And it's kind of a test and a, and a treatment. Mm -hmm. So we'll do things like that and we can do that with hormones uh, just to balance them out because we really think at the end of the day PMS uh, comes from Cyclic swings in hormones which does something to neurotransmitters in the brain probably resulting in some type of serotonin uh, Deficiency one of the feel-good hormones serotonin serotonin dopamine norepinephrine epinephrine and it causes an imbalance in the brain so Yes, the headaches are important to look at, but again, I think treating the underlying cause is really what we're, what we're going after and then the headache should go away. Awesome.
3: I know we probably have a few more questions, but we're, I'm, I'm looking at Mike and Michelle, because I'm like, I, we can go into more clinical detail. I just, I I just
1: keep thinking about myself and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> okay.
3: Should, should, we,
0: should we do a consultation?
3: <laughs> yeah, <should> we?
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: It's,
3: it's we only... can
1: talk later. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll have to turn off the mics because of yeah. HIPAA, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have questions about my wife too, yeah.
3: you know, there's, there's always, <laughs> I, I get a lot of those. Actually, something
1: I do think about, you know, um, I, I, rem- I'm not quite to, uh, the age of menopause yet, but, um, my cousin, I see her with hot flashes and it's something that I have a discussion with a lot with, um, people that I run into on the day to day. I say, have you talked to your practitioner about hormone therapy? Mm-hmm. And my cousin specifically has said, well, I mentioned that because I had mentioned it to her and her practitioner was like, mm, you know, you don't need that. And so I said, well, we need to find somebody that will help you. So my question is more, how do we get the general public as well? Um, I feel like you have to kind of take charge of your mm-hmm. own treatment and mm-hmm. your own care. And so how do we get them to find somebody such as yourself that is willing to, to prescribe and look at compounding options and just hormone therapy in general. Sure.
0: This is a, this is a big problem um, in my community and all over. I always tell my wife that menopause is such a neglected area of medicine. And I think it all stemmed, unfortunately, from the Women's Health Initiative trial. You know, I'm 61 years old. I did my residency 35 years ago. And when I would go to one of my professors in residency, if a menopausal woman came in they would say to me ask her how she's feeling ask her about hot flashes ask her about vaginal dryness you know the list of menopausal symptoms and if she says yes you put her on hormones and if she says how long you say for the rest of your life so we were very pro hormone maybe maybe this pendulum was too far on the other end but then when the women's health initiative trial came along it swung the pendulum the other way physicians are afraid they're afraid of their patients. Nobody wants their patient to get cancer, but they're also afraid of, we're, we live in a very litigious society, and uh, it's, it's scary as a physician. And sadly, that has trickled down into, okay, just take this antidepressant and you'll be okay. And that's a, that's a horrible way to treat women at that point in their life. And Dr. Berkson gave an amazing lecture yesterday about the flaws of the Y trial and that estrogen really isn't a bad thing, and actually it's a good thing. So we have to rethink, we have to, this has to start at the grassroots level of medical education of physicians. Because I teach residents and fellows and medical students and they're still coming out telling me that they're told in medical school that women shouldn't get hormones. And so that's where it really has to start. But to answer your question, I think there has to be, we have to, when I say we, I mean doctors, PCCA, compounding pharmacies, we have to put a push to the public as opposed to physicians. I know that sounds a little unusual, but physicians kind of lock in and they have their thoughts and that's what it is. Um, But patients can change things. You know, if you get enough patients seeking enough physicians like myself and Dr. Smith and Dr. Berkson and all these amazing people that are here, uh, things are gonna change. So grassroots levels, I go out and do community lectures and seminars for patients and it, it really works. And then my biggest referral source are other patients uh, who tell their friends. And then it's just a trickle-down
1: effect. Well, you tell a woman, Mm -hmm. and she's telling five other women. (laughs) That's right. Because if she has something that works for her, and I tell this to the pharmacist that we talk to all the time about customer care, Mm -hmm. if you give excellent customer service and customer care to your patients, and especially a hormonal woman, she is going out and telling everybody she knows, you've got to try this practitioner, you've got to try this pharmacy, because they're taking care of me and I feel so much better and it's it's a whole big circle but yeah you tell a woman something and she's telling everybody if it helps Mm -hmm.
0: her and it really is from my perspective it's an amazing feeling I feel like I'm going home at night and I've actually helped people I know that sounds unusual because that's what we do in medicine but I didn't always feel that way in my former life of what I was doing it was very you know this was the protocol you did it and if it worked out it worked out if it didn't it didn't this I'm really Everything I do is unique and personalized for each individual patient. And then they come back, and they feel so miserable when they first came. And when they come back, they're telling me how life has completely changed for them. That's a good feeling. And and, uh,
2: I can't imagine other physicians wouldn't want to do that too. But we just got to get the word out.
1: Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. awesome. Mm -hmm.
2: So you mentioned something really interesting to me. Um, You started your practice two years ago at the age of 59. What is next for you? Um, How did you view this as being the next stage of your career? I didn't view this. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> or think it just I, came out. I
0: didn't think I would be here. I, uh, so the short story is, I was out giving a national lecture on the Women's Health Initiative trial in Sarasota, Florida. My wife was sitting by the pool, and when I came out, um, she said, "Can you read this?" And it was a it was the weekend course by Dr. Pam Smith with A4M, <laughs> and I said. Well, I said, those are bioidentical hormones and I don't do that. I'm a, I'm a traditional <laughs> reproductive endocrinologist. And she said to me, well, quite honestly, hon, what you're doing for me is not helping. <laughs> and so <laughs> that was a horrible, oh, horrible wow. feeling. Cause you know, you think, you know, your stuff, you've been doing it for 30 years and you love your wife more than anything in the world. And she, she comes up with that. And, and she so, calls you out. <laughs> <laughs> she called me out. <laughs> <up. laughs> she really did. And, I, and I was a little hurt at the time, but I'm so glad I did it. So we went over to Boca, that was where the course was, we did it and uh, I came out of there and I was blown away by how much these people knew and how much I didn't. And it was really hard, like I said, physicians have egos, really hard to admit to myself and say, all right, do you wanna stay in your little pigeonhole, or do you wanna learn and do something better for patients? So after the weekend course, I did the one week course and then I did the fellowship and I just, I'm still, I'm still doing modules in the fellowship because I just love the learning piece of it all. And that was two years ago? No, I started this okay. when I was about 55. Not okay. long, okay. not long. So, you know, three years going through the fellowship and two years I left my practice then and set up this one. So I've been doing this new practice for two years. And um, I thought it was just gonna be a little mom and pop thing, my wife and I. She runs the front desk, I see the patients, but it's, it's getting bigger than that now. And we're ready to bring on our first employee and we're, we're actually talking about an integrative center at some point, like I mentioned before, mm-hmm. where we could have multiple special, specialties represented and have a center where people can go and get traditional medicine, but they can also get functional care, bioidentical hormones, really understand the root causes of their problems, deal with inflammation, all this kind of stuff. So.
2: I don't know. I like, No, it's tra- awesome. Talk to me in two years. We'll see where I'm at. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll be out in the street looking no, for a job. I highly yeah. I, doubt it. I think, I think you'll be extremely busy, and, and it's going to be interesting to hear how you, the next stage of your career goes. Yeah. You mentioned grassroots. Michelle talked about word of mouth and, and the power of that. Just just being at this event, for us, these are live hormone symposiums that we've we've put on for years, and our Las Vegas event is one of our largest. We have over 250 people here alone, Mm -hmm. Uh, aside from what we do from international, if we didn't have physicians like yourself that come and spoke and and spread the word and, and offered a different perspective, our pharmacists would not be educated and they wouldn't learn. So the same way that you were able to be trained through A4M and through Dr. Pam Smith, we try to emulate that and do the same thing for our pharmacists and that's why it's so important. Essentially the nature of this podcast really is to help educate others and realize but they need to get the word out. Yeah. So there's so much more out there. So the willingness for you not only to come and speak, but to do this is incredibly appreciated because it's part of that grassroots effort. Mm-hmm. It, there's really no easy answer to Michelle's question. You know, a lot of people need to know what is available. Mm-hmm. Things like this help, and they're a part of that. They're a very, very small part of it, but thankful for physicians like yourself. Thankful for A4M um, that complement what our compounding pharmacists are able to do and it's really an amazing thing and the evolution since I've been in this market for twenty years is staggering. So yeah. we're we're still a very small small portion of the population and we're thankful for physicians like yourself. Thank you. Well it goes both ways because
0: physicians like me can't do what we do without people like you, you know, helping us on the other end. This is truly like a team approach. This mm-hmm. isn't a physician writing a script that you don't even know the pharmacist on the other end. This is this is an intimate relationship to take care of patients. And I I mean, shouldn't that be the way it is? I mean, I I think it's a great model.
3: And I I know that that's something we get taught all the time is that collaborative approach and collaborative medicine and Mm -hmm. uh, collaborative care. And we're seeing that in this sort of uh, relationship. So yeah. thank you so much for, thank you. for being here. And thank yeah. you for, for sharing all yeah, the Yeah, I know insights. you got to be on stage soon. This so. has been a
0: lot of fun. Yeah. I'd rather do this with you guys. <laughs>
3: it's a bit of a warm Think of it as a warm-up. Yeah, up. a yeah. warm-up.
0: But <laughs> well, we're a really receptive audience. <laughs>
3: yeah, so,
2: uh, exactly. Yeah, we're yeah. like, oh, yeah. I know. I know they are nice in there. I've okay. been in other situations where it's not so nice. <laughs> <laughs> done a lot of speaking. No, this would be a good group. Thank you. Looking we, forward to seeing you on stage. We
3: should book him now
2: because he's going to be busy in the next six months. We're not going to get him back. I realize Like, gotta, like it.
3: Pencil it into his calendar. I have a today. feeling we'll,
2: we'll probably see him again, and I'd love to sit down and chat with you yeah. down the road and, and see how everything is going. Uh, that'd be fun. Thank you. Thank, thank you for you doing all. this very much. Thank I thanks to Michelle and Sebastian, and thank you to all of our listeners out there for tuning in. Once again, to our latest episode, as a quick reminder, as always, to please subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. Also, to follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, and Facebook. All of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you soon.